So I'll I'll share with you, and it, it's um, uh, you know, it was something completely new that I did, which was a writing retreat. Awesome! It was really fun. I brought two, uh, two, not four, uh, two, no, four. I cannot add okay, anymore. That's okay. You're a writer. You're not I'm supposed completely to. verbal now. <laughs> there are no math skills left for me. So. You're listening to the Sociable Scribes, two professional writers who work hard, play hard, and love to have fun on the job. Word stylist Nikita Rao Stevens and publishing consultant Kim Ely talk about the topics and questions they hear most often from their clients. Let's talk about writing, the good, the bad, and the awesome, while addressing popular questions and concerns from real writers like you. If you're a writer, someone who aspires to write, or just wants to learn more about writing and publishing, and have a lot of fun along the way, welcome to the tribe. Here are your hosts, Nikita and Kim, two writers who love to socialize, the sociable scribes. So, Nikita, what's behind your curtain this week? So, um, I have been kind of in a battle with myself in in managing self-doubt yeah honestly and um it's interesting I feel like because I'm making such big changes in my business right now I feel like I'm kind of back at zero ah and if if you remember anything about how you felt when you were first starting your business there was even though you know, in your mind, you know, you're good at what you do, which is why you start your business and, and cause you're building your craft. Right. Um, there's a tremendous amount of self doubt that you have, that you have because you're asking yourself, am I really good enough? Can I do this? Right. And when you get that first customer that is like, Oh my God, I love you. You are amazing. I couldn't live without you. And it, it's almost like a validation. Yeah. Um, and I hate to think, I mean, you know, in reality, we should say we believe enough in ourselves not to need validation, but we are also human. Yes. And that that makes a huge difference in how you build yourself up. Yes. Because it, it's like it's like street cred. almost. Yeah. You know, like I, I've got someone that's actually I'm not just saying I'm awesome. There's other people that can say I'm awesome. too. Right. And so now as I am going down a different journey and mm-hmm. I've, you know, had good I do believe in my writing that I can do it, but at the same time, I struggle with believing can I do it, right? Because um, because I don't have that cred yet. Yeah, I haven't built that cred, so I'm starting over and building that credibility and being vulnerable and putting those pieces out there that are so so much more of me, yeah, than anything I've ever written before because it's um it's all starting from here, you know, right? So it's um it's kind of like a roller coaster ride emotionally. Yeah. And, um, if anything, I hope that it can be a little bit of encouragement and, um, inspiration to other people that are going through that. It's not, it's not uncommon or not normal to feel this way when you're making changes and you're yeah. trying new things. The, the goal is to push forward and push through it. Right. Um, and a lot of what's helped me is just having just rock star people around me that believe in me and say, you've got this. Awesome. Um, and that's what, that's what keeps me going. Yeah. When yeah. I'm feeling that way, I remember <clears throat> that I remember what other people have told me because you can't necessarily go just based on what you're feeling. Right. Um, Cause that's not what gets you over the hump. 
So that's um, what I'm dealing with. Love that. That's yeah. so awesome. Yeah. And thank you for being so transparent. Of course. So that's very cool. So I'll I'll share with you, and it, it's um uh you know it was something completely new that I did, which was a writing retreat. Awesome. It was really fun. I brought two uh two not four uh two no four. <laughs> I cannot. That's okay. You're a writer. I am completely verbal now. (laughs) There are no math skills left for me. No. um, So I had four writers and we went on a retreat. And a lot of the things that you're talking about related to your business can also relate when you're starting a book or starting a different genre of a book. Mm -hmm. Um, The writers I brought on the retreat are all in uh, some form of starting their books. And Ah. so that same sort of self-doubt kicks in, you know, and, and um, who am I to tell this story? And, oh gosh, people are going to read it. So they're going to judge me and all those things that go through your head. And it, it, like you said, it's absolutely normal to feel that way. Yeah. I love, um, I love doing the retreat. I'll be perfectly transparent. I was scared to death. I hadn't done one before. And I thought, oh snap, I'm going to be in a a bed and breakfast for a whole weekend. If this goes badly, there's nowhere to go. Till the retreat is over. <laughs> and um, but I, I luckily the writers were fantastic. They were all really supportive. I was so impressed how much they supported each other. That's so awesome. to talk about the rock stars that were there supporting you, yeah. this four group uh four writers didn't hardly know each other before going into it, and at the end they were all like a group. That's it was awesome. Awesome. So really cool. yeah, so I think there's a lot to that 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 when we can share and and you know, be vulnerable with one another and say, I do have self doubt. We can all support each other as well. Finding your, your tribe, so to speak. Absolutely. So yeah. Very cool. And now it's time for gregarious goofballs. All right, let's do some gregarious goofballs. (laughs) All right, start us off. Okay. So I have a fun, a fun, it's an old dog story. So I, I used to have two dogs. Um, they were Peanut and Ladybug. Aww. Okay. And um, Peanut was about six or seven when uh-huh. we brought Ladybug into the house as a puppy. Uh-huh. Um, he did hate her. Oh, um, no. What yeah. kind of dogs are they? So Peanut was um, a Yorkie Poo. Um, he was kind of the runt, so he was tiny, like five pounds. Tiny Aww. little dog. And um, Ladybug was a Shih Tzu. Aww. And so Ladybug was probably at this point. Um, a couple years old, mm-hmm. um, which would have made Peanut, I don't know, seven or eight. Uh-huh. So Peanut liked to play with his food. <laughs> it, it was just a thing that he did his from the time he was a puppy. Yeah. So like literally um, when you would give him a treat, uh-huh. you had to chase him. Aw. And, and then he'd like, and I mean, it was fun in the beginning. It got annoying after a while. Oh, no. He's like, he won't eat his treat unless you like try to take it from him. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ladybug was greedy. Uh-huh. Like, Ladybug <laughs> don't let no food like stay hanging around anywhere. If it's something on the floor, she's gonna eat it. You know? And so Ladybug was not well apprised of his process. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> so, she had not been informed. She had not been informed. <laughs> so <laughs> so when we gave Peanut, this, I swear this is the first time I, I swear I think a dog could talk when this happened. <laughs> so we gave Peanut his tree, and he drops it like in front in front of him because uh-huh. it's like, hey, gotta try to take it. Yeah. 
Ladybug takes out the cue, like, oh, that treat for me? <laughs> oh, no. And she, like, runs up, grabs his treat, <laughs> and oh, starts to eat it in no. front of him. <laughs> and I swear to God, I swear to God, <laughs> Peanut looked like his hand went like this, uh-huh. and like he went, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is too I funny. I swear that dog cursed that day. <laughs> he cursed that dog for eating his treat. So. <laughs> that's oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> and Ladybug's like, hey, sweet gig I here. Got some, yeah, I got Woo. a treat. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is hilarious. <laughs> what you got? Funny. So yeah. I also have an animal story. Oh, good. They're hilarious. This is my kitty cat, Madeline. And I think I shared with you before, Madeline is 21 years old. Oh, my gosh. She turned 21 in February. She, I didn't know cats could live that long. I didn't either. She does well. She can't jump very high and stuff like that. But Madeline is my baby. Like, she's my little shadow. And, and she, you know, she's my Velcro kitty. It's like, where, where are you going, Mama? Wait, wait, you leaving the room? I'm coming to with you. So she'll follow me around and stuff. Lately... She's gotten in this habit, and it's so cute, but also annoying at the same time. So I like to read in bed. So I'll have my tablet there. She likes to lay right in the middle of my chest, sticks her face right in my face, and will go, meow, because she's hard of hearing. So I don't think she realizes how loud she is. (laughs) But it's so funny because I'm trying to read, and I'm moving the tablet around from her head, and she's moving her face with me. Oh, my God. And, And Jerry, my husband, just looks over, and he just laughs and laughs. I'm like, Kat, I love you, but I can't read. And she's like, I'm right in front of you. Why are you reading? <laughs> <laughs> love Aww. on me now. <laughs> Hi. So we are super excited today, Nikita, because we have an amazing guest. Yes, I'm really excited to learn about all kinds of good food. Oh, travels yeah. and fantastic food writing. Yes. Yes. So where our guest today was the food editor for Vegetarian Times magazine for over 10 years, which is her body of work, so to speak. And she can be found in features, articles, and recipes published between 2005 and 2016. During that time, she also edited two cookbooks for Vegetarian Times, wrote her own cookbook in French. I can barely read French now. Right. So that's impressive. It's very impressive. <laughs> and she also um, uh, taught cooking classes. She's interpreted for French chefs. She's done a host of other odd jobs related to food and cooking. And get this, she splits her time between Richmond, Virginia, and Cancal, France. How freaking awesome is that? Welcome, Mary Margaret Chapel. Thank you. (laughs) We're so glad you're here. First, how freaking cool is it that you live in both France and the U.S.? It's pretty freaking cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say. So, So you have to humor us and say something in French. Get, tell me what you want me to say. I, you know, this question comes up all the yeah. time, and um, I want more butter on the croissant. Je voudrais un peu plus de beurre sur mon croissant. Oh, oh wow! <laughs> she sounds very French. Indeed. <laughs> wow, that's pretty cool. So uh, you are fluent in French, and I saw that you actually were a um, uh, uh, taught English as a second language. Yes, for seven years, I was um, an English teacher and 
head of a language um, department in an engineering school of all places. Really? And worked at a Franco-American Institute. So, oh, yes. So, awesome. I, I love teaching. Oh, very cool. Now, was that the first time that you um, lived in France? No, I had lived there before. I went as a high school student on an exchange a couple of times, and then I went back for... Um, instead of doing a junior year abroad, I did a year after college to go to cooking school. Awesome. And then since to get a job in France at the time, you had to prove you could do something better than French people. It was really <laughs> hard for me to prove that I could make pastries better than a French person. Wow. So I ended up, you know, getting my work visa to teach English because I could prove that I spoke English better than most French people. Oh, there we go. And yeah. so for seven years, I was an English teacher until I decided to go back to cooking. Oh, awesome. Awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. So then at that time, is that when you became a pastry chef? Um, well, yes and no. So I'd studied pastry mm -hmm. and then, you know, I took this, you know, I would say it was actually a five-year hiatus because the last two years, I was like, I really want to get back in the kitchen. Yeah. And I got an apprenticeship at a local bakery. So Ooh. I was teaching um, during the day until about three o'clock in the afternoon. And then at 3.30, I'd show up at the bakery and uh -huh. I worked there from 3.30 to 7 in the afternoon. Wow. And that was my apprenticeship. And it was, you know, a deep dive into the world of baking yeah. because it was do or die. Oh my gosh. It wasn't like, oh, here, we're going to make three croissants. And I was lucky enough to have um, two pastry chefs I worked with, two mm -hmm. different ones who alternated, who were like, okay, I make one, you make one. Uh -huh. And oh. so I did everything there. And that's how I got most of my experience. Oh, wow. That's yeah. amazing. And then I, they also invited me. I tried to do bread baking as uh -huh. well, um, which I did for a while. But that was that started at 1 in the morning. Wow. So that got to be a little tricky. I would do that on the weekends. I would go in at 1 on Friday night and work till 7 on oh Saturday mornings gosh. to get the experience. And then it's just like, I need a life again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> normal living I, I have a real job during the day so I need to get back to so here's a little random question so what how dif what's the difference in time in France versus here because you're going back and forth and mm -hmm. I'm just I'm curious to know what the jet lag is because oh, you're going yeah. between two different places it's a six hour time difference with oh. the east coast it's a nine hour time difference with the west coast and so when I was working and I still do work a lot with California it's nine hours of time difference. And I, I, you know, now my mind just converts it automatically. Wow. But flying back and forth, it can get exhausting. I'm sure. Is, is there um, like an adjustment period you find when you get back to the States or when you're going to? France? There's always an adjustment period. And it's that adjustment period is usually sometime in the middle of the night <laughs> when you wake oh. up and you're like, my oh. body thinks it is nine in the morning oh. or I'm over there and I can't go to, you know, I want desperately to go to sleep and my body is thinking it's only eight o'clock at night. Oh wow. no. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, that's intense. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so you've, um, which came first, writing or becoming a pastry chef? Well, you know, that's a, that's a really good question because I think you don't realize these patterns until after the fact. Yeah. I guess writing did because in high school when I knew you, Kim, yes. I was um, on the, you know, the school newspaper right. and doing that and I wanted to be a writer, but I don't think I was as diligent as I should have been. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, so went to college, majored in English and French and then got into pastry and, and, and actually now it's more all cooking, just got into cooking yeah, in general. Yeah, yeah. 
And, and I would have a hard time doing without either. Like if I had to say I can only do one, I would be really bummed. Ah, interesting. I need to do both. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. But luckily you can. <laughs> luckily I can. I know. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so you've done both writing and editing. Yes. So which is the hardest? I'm a terrible editor. <laughs> I'm a horrible, horrible, horrible editor because I just want to rewrite. So I would say, uh, you know, like uh, editing seems like it could be easier, but for me, it's harder because it's an exercise and letting somebody else's voice shine through. Yeah. Whereas I just want to fix stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, but then, you know, one of my favorite quotes about writing when people are like, oh, you're a writer. It must be so much fun. I'm like, you know what they say? I think it was Dorothy Parker who said it. Nobody mm -hmm. likes writing. Everybody likes having written. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Amen that is that. it. Yes. So. It's true. It's true. So there true. are times when I'm writing, and, you're, and I'm sure, Nikita, you can attest to this, where you're just like, their words are not coming. <laughs> and then after it's done, you're like, that's pretty clever. <laughs> My biggest thing that I struggle with is probably I'm very impatient, which is not mm -hmm. a very good quality for a writer. <laughs> and so, so sometimes the words come, and particularly when I'm working on a fiction piece, which is a lot of what I do, is it's there in my brain, but it I need it to come out. And it takes longer for it to come out yeah. than I am ready for. Mm -hmm. And because I have to write it. And so that, <laughs> well, there's that. And there's also, you know, I had for, um, from, I guess five of my seven years in New York City, I worked in as a uh, food editor at a magazine. And my editor in chief, um, I remember her saying this was a women's magazine, and she said, "When it reads like it's easy, it, it was easy to write. That's when it was the hardest to write. Ah. Like when it just flows, when it's very conversational, right. to make that come alive. And I'm sure you say it when it when it flows easily. A lot of work has gone into it." Yeah, that is very true. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and I remind myself of that when it's like, you know, taking me three hours to write two paragraphs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, okay. So let's talk a little bit about your process, um, specifically with your cooking. Mm -hmm. How do you go about creating the recipe? What did that look like? Well, it sort of depends on like how the recipe idea has come. You know, has it come from somebody else? Is this an assignment that somebody said? Like, um, you know, today I'm going to go home and I'm going to work on a story about vinaigrettes. Mm -hmm. And this is a story that has been assigned to me based on an idea that I had. Mm -hmm. um, and I know what they're looking for. And so I'm going to riff on that idea. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, you do a little Internet search um, and, you know, you you say, oh, that sounds kind of cool. Or you think, oh, that sounds terrible. I want to <laughs> avoid that at all costs or right. that doesn't fit. And. You know, you draw on your own personal experience yeah. and then you start to, you know, I do write things down before I get to the kitchen. You know, what do I want to do? How many, how, you know, divide up grids. Do I want four recipes? Do I want eight recipes? Do I want one master recipe? Mm -hmm. And then I go into the kitchen and play. It's very much like writing. And mm -hmm. then, you know, sometimes you have to have several drafts before mm -hmm. it gets right. <laughs> I am not a miracle worker like they are on food TV where suddenly it just comes out perfect. Oh. Is, is, there, <laughs> is there an experience that you can relay where you made something that was just absolutely grotesque yes there is an experience i can <laughs> yeah. relay yes um 
and and I can't live this down. So I live in France and I was having a friend over and I was working on a vegan moussaka. So for, you know, people who don't know what moussaka mm-hmm. is, is it is a meat-based Greek dish right. that, you know, and, and when I say meat-based, it is like mostly meat with, you know, with mashed potatoes on top. And it's like, you know, it's like a Greek shepherd's pie. And I was replacing that with lentils. And wow. so, you know, this friend who loves food was coming over and I'm like, good, I'm making moussaka come. Oh, no. And oh. it was truly foul. Like, <laughs> and, and so here's this person who I'm introducing to vegan cuisine and I have not lived it down. He brings it up every time oh, I see no. him. I have cooked so many other things and eventually I got it right. right, right. But that first try was just off. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. So, so <laughs> vegan is a relatively new thing for us because we're not vegan yeah um because because i had bacon this morning oh yeah yeah and (laughs) clearly not vegan um do you have a favorite vegan dish that you could recommend especially for someone that might be new and kind of easing into it kind of new and kind of easing into it um well yes i just made um couscous which is a moroccan um stew um last night and i'm hoping to put it up on my blog because i worked on it and what i realized as i was making it is um it doesn't have to have meat in it you know it's really all about the vegetables and the spices and the broth and so i made all of that and then there were meat eaters coming so i made the meat on the side um but essentially it's this absolutely delicious meal that is naturally vegan and you know i you've talked about how a lot of my experience has been at vegetarian and vegan Mm -hmm. magazines or outlets and to me the exciting thing is coming up with foods that are naturally plant-based not like creating the fake meat you know like i you know somebody was telling me yesterday about how somebody made a hard-boiled egg that looked exactly like a hard-boiled egg but it was vegan and i was like that's that's I, creatively I can I can admire that but I don't really want to eat it. Right. Oh, that <laughs> so yeah. That reminds me of tofurkey, where they actually take tofu and, and shape it into a turkey. Shape it into a turkey. Except that they don't tape it, shape it into a turkey. Oh, they, they just don't? no. It's it's usually just a log. Oh. It's not very that's... attractive, and and it's big and worse, and and it also goes against something that I, I think is it's extremely highly processed. Oh, you know, to yeah. get it to yeah. to get those flavors that oh, you're thinking of with turkey. Yeah. So yeah, when I Seriously. cook for vegans, and I think that this is the advice I'd give to someone if you're you've got a vegan or vegetarian coming over, look for a recipe that's naturally vegan or vegetarian. There are tons out there. Yeah. You know, yeah. you can make a great big minestrone soup, and it is that's vegan. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So I wanted to ask you, what was it like writing your cookbook that you did in, in French? Um, did you write it in English first and then No, I wrote it directly in French. Wow. Um, it was, you know, it was a fun experience and I really hope this cookbook gets published again because it's out of print. Oh, um, but it was, you know, I was contacted by a small editor in France uh-huh. and he asked me to put together this cookbook of desserts from Brittany, the region that I'm from. And it was a blast. Awesome. Um, uh, because I, and I was actually doing it while I was living in California. So. Oh, are you kidding me? That's too funny. <laughs> so I'd be like working during the week and cooking all these desserts on the weekend. And I lived in Venice Beach and I'd walk out of my oh, house nice. and I'd be like, homeless person, <laughs> surfer dude, want a cake? I can't eat all these. <laughs> Here's surfer guy, yeah. carb load. Yeah, Yay. that's great. <laughs> 
have a quick question about that process because it, I find it interesting that you said that you wrote it straight in French. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't have the experience of having of speaking anything fluently other than English. Yeah, but yes, I'm pretty fluent. In you are very right. fluent. I'm not to tell you that. <laughs> um, but I, I remember studying Spanish in college, and you know, as as I was picking up on the language because we weren't allowed to speak English in class. Gotcha. Um, Great. Yeah, that you was, had a good teacher. <laughs> teachers, they were difficult. <laughs> but anyway, I guess my question is. The way my brain processes, and I assume it's the same with all of us, when whatever our first language is, is it comes in through your brain in English first, and it has to translate. So when I'm listening to the professor speak in Spanish, and I'm trying to understand what she's saying, I'm translated in English first so that it makes sense to me. So knowing that that's how I process language learning, I just assume that's just natural. Whatever your first language is, you're going to translate into that first. So how do you... You reach a point in your it... fluency where you don't translate anymore. Really? Yes. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's interesting because I've been doing a lot more translating recently. And one of the exciting things is pulling in all of my writing and editorial work in English to translating because a lot of translators do just that. They hear the French and they translate it directly into English. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm enjoying doing with my clients is saying, that doesn't sound like a native speaker. We have to completely rethink wow. the way this has been said, yeah. because even though I understand what is in English on the page, I wouldn't say it that way. And it makes how, it confusing. How long did it take for you to hone that skill to that level? <laughs> I, I'm still honing it. You know, you never get perfect. Yeah, um, That's pretty impressive, though, that you yeah. understand that language to that level. Well, you know, I live in a tiny town where not many speak, people speak English. Mm -hmm. And when and I was in cooking school, um, nobody in my classes spoke English. So it was oh kind of gosh. sink or swim. Yeah. You know, wow. you either understand it or you don't. And if you don't, you figure out a way to understand it pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any funny stories of trying to translate when you first moved there? Um, <laughs> trying to say anything stupid when you're oh, it, oh, yes. You know, but there's so, so, so many, so many stupid things. Um, I'm trying to think of one that's not X-rated because usually it involves stuff like that, that oh, where wow. like you you mispronounce a word and it comes up as a word that no one is supposed to say. <laughs> oh, that's well, did. But yes. <laughs> Times Magazine. Well, I happened? started out, um, I had moved back to Richmond, Virginia uh -huh. for what I thought was going to be a short period of time. And mm -hmm. it ended up being a short period of time, but for different reasons. Um, uh, you know, I was sort of taking a break from living in New York City. And mm -hmm. at the time, Vegetarian Times was in Richmond. Oh, and okay. through a friend of a friend, I got contacted at, and they were asking me, they asked me if I wanted to do some recipe testing for them and, mm -hmm. you know, write a couple of articles. I said, sure. Yeah. And so I became their recipe tester. Um, then they moved out to Los Angeles and I moved out there with them to be their recipe tester and their food editor, um, which was a crazy time because wow. I was living in a hotel oh and gosh. cooking in my hotel room because it was equipped with a kitchen oh, and wow. then going into work afterwards. I mean, it, you know, and, <laughs> wow. and then from there, you know, I became, I was asked to be the editor in chief which, you know, is something I think it's important to say to your listeners. I hate it. 
You know, really? I reached the pinnacle okay. of my career and I am not an editor in chief. Oh, I loved being a food editor. And so I actually demoted myself wow. and moved back to France. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it's wow. awesome. Cause yeah. So many but, uh, but I think it's important to say that like, you know, just because it's the top job doesn't, and it wasn't right for me because being an editor in chief is a lot of administrative work. Yeah. It's a lot of management and it I is. am not a manager. I love food and I love writing as I've said. And suddenly yeah. I found myself at the top of this magazine and I wasn't doing either. Mm. Oh, wow. So, well, good for you for recognizing that about well, yourself you know, and saying, yeah, I'm not digging this. I'm not digging this. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. So, and I think there was a time while you were, um, uh, you, you had kind of alluded to it before working for vegetarian times when you were in France and how did that work? Well, so when I say I demoted myself, basically I resigned. <laughs> oh, so I was like, this is, I don't, I don't like this. And then the, the editor in chief that they hired asked uh -huh. if I would stay on just as a transition thing since I was moving back to France. And, yeah. you know, it's like, sure, I'll go to a foreign country and have a salary. Um, <laughs> And it just worked out, you know, because one, because she is a truly extraordinary editor, but also, you know, it, we just clicked and we had a, an incredible staff and we all worked together and they made it possible for me to work from abroad. Awesome. And, awesome. you know, if they're all listening, I owe you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, so... Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about your blog. Okay. The Ken Cow Kitchen. Mm -hmm. Is that right? So how did, how did that come about? Tell me how you, like what led to you starting that? Um, well, I saw that my Vegetarian Times tenure was coming to an end because okay. the magazine no longer exists. You know, okay. they were getting ready to shutter it. Um, and I, I realized I needed to, you know, start thinking about the next thing. I'd had this great run. Um, and... I was like, well, you know, in this day and age to be in the food world is I think, you know, to be in, in any sort of com communications, you have to have a personal identity, which is something that as a magazine editor, you don't have their mm -hmm. whole purpose or, or any kind of editor is to promote everybody else. Right. And so suddenly That's I had so to true. create my own identity, which is an exciting thing to do. But then you're like, well, where do I start? How do I go about it? So I, I remember distinctly, I it was a really cold, blustery day in Brittany, and I like put on my coats and I went and I went to my favorite beach and I walked up and down this beach for like two hours, wow. trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And that's when I came up with the blog name and the idea. But like, unfortunately, with the blog, as you know, mm -hmm. it it's not like that. No. <laughs> then I had to get you know a domain name and you know do all of the technical stuff, sure, and right. then you have to create the content, mm -hmm. and that takes time. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. So you're sort of like a photographer and writer for your Yes. Blog. I, oh, you know, I also had to like suddenly become a photographer. Because people want to see the food. Yes. Oh, heck yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So this, so here's an interesting question. Um, and, and I run into this a lot in, in what I do because I, you know, I help people with their blogs and I also help people when they want to write articles and um, trying to convey to them the difference between a blog and an article. So what I would love to know is, like, what do you like about writing a blog as opposed to an article? Kind of give us your point of view on that. 
Um, I actually, uh, let's see. What I like about a blog is you get to say what you want to say. And, you know, um, but that's also dangerous because <laughs> many, many, many of the blogs that I read and don't necessarily like, I, I find, I just wish they had an editor. Uh, um, I find that a lot of people, like when you start talking in the first person, mm -hmm. you you stop thinking about your audience at times. Mm -hmm. And as a former editor, that is something I'm extremely conscious of on my website. And so I've created a lot of rules for myself. Like I don't want introductions that are longer than 300 words because I find them tiresome on other people's blogs. Mm -hmm. I don't want scrolled, you know, like art shots of, you know, you know, the apples in the sunshine. Oh, the apples chopped in the sunshine. Oh, the apples chopped in the sunshine with a knife next to it. Like, you know, like, where is the blooming recipe? Yeah. <laughs> right. So true. And so, um, a lot, you know, through those before. yes. Um, and so like one of the, the things that I, I find is fun is trying to establish a blog format that I enjoy mm. that that suits me and that's usually one or two photos a short introduction and then let's cut to the chase people are here for the recipe yeah absolutely they're not you know they're here to hear know a little bit about me but they don't need to know how much I love apples because everybody loves apples or everybody doesn't love apples right right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah that's, that's true so awesome. I hope that answered your question yeah absolutely <laughs> So I have to ask you, um, I remember when uh, you and I reconnected and we went out to eat, I assumed because you were uh, the editor of Vegetarian Times that you were a vegetarian yourself. So do you eat meat? Um, I do eat meat. I eat everything. Awesome. Um, and, uh, but but <laughs> I, I am, I have, you know, one thing after working in the vegetarian world, one, I eat so much less meat than I think, you know, like yeah. I would say, you know, I, the term flexitarian keeps, is thrown around a lot. Yeah. Um, I can go for weeks without eating meat, but I, I don't want to define my diet. Yeah. So can you define flexitarian? This is my first time hearing this term. Flexitarian is basically you eat mostly vegetarian or mostly vegan and then some meat. Um, okay. but it's, it's like I used to say when I was talking about, um, you know, working for a vegetarian magazine is to me, the important thing is to be non-judgmental. Like I don't yeah. judge vegans. I don't judge vegetarians and yes. I hope they don't judge me. Yes. It's not a religion. Yeah. You know, there, there are no central tenets. I think, you know, we all <laughs> eat for what our bodies need, for mm -hmm. what we enjoy. Yeah. And I can remember because when I was at the editor in chief of vegetarian times, I was a vegetarian because I felt it was really important to have that experience. Uh -huh. But that's not how I naturally eat. Gotcha. Very cool. So one thing I wanted to ask you about living in Cancal. Mm -hmm. Am I saying that right? I know. I'm yeah, yeah in, in English, yeah. You know, it's Cancal in French, Cancal. but yes, okay. but Cancal is okay. not. Okay. <laughs> you can't possibly say it that cool. Yeah. I know. Exactly. <laughs> you say it so magnifique. <laughs> What are the best things to eat uh, in Brittany? Um, well, in Conkel is known for oysters, mm -hmm. so I eat a lot of well, wow. I, I I eat a lot of oysters and mm -hmm. um, oysters and seafood because it's right on the English Channel. Yeah, um, buckwheat crepes, Ooh. which are called galettes, which oh. are filled. Um, they are gluten-free, naturally yes! gluten, again, naturally <laughs> gluten-free. Um, there's there are a lot of creperies around, mm -hmm. um, and then you know. Basically, Breton cuisine, the, the cuisine from this area is based on fresh ingredients more than mm. anything else. 
Oh, awesome. And is it all pretty seasonal? Like, do people eat seasonally? Very seasonal. In yeah. fact, it always shocks me when I come back to the U.S. and I walk into the grocery store and I'm looking at the <laughs> the variety of vegetables. I'm like, that's not in season. That's Where are they getting that? Like, you know, because <laughs> in France, it's right, you know, it's February right now. You can't find raspberries. Yeah. You can't find yeah. strawberries. Yeah. Uh, or if you can, they're outrageously expensive like I could maybe find a strawberry for um valentine's if I wanted to but like that one strawberry would cost me what a basket would cost oh my gosh <laughs> so you really do eat very seasonally there yeah oh that's very cool that's probably the best way to eat yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, very cool. So um, since I know we have a lot of um, writers who listen, what recommendations would you have for writers who are interested in doing freelancing and, and um, writing articles? And for food or for in general? I would say in general. Yeah. yeah. In general, um, you know, get a very thick skin because you're <laughs> going to get a lot of rejections. And understand that those rejections are not rejections of you because I've been on the, you know, I've been on both sides now and I know yeah. how it is and I get very sensitive too. Um, but like you can have the best idea in the world, yeah. but if, you know, uh, uh, let me give you a good example. Yeah. So I had, um, somebody pitched me while I was at vegetarian times, an incredible, incredible article on uh -huh. the foods from the South of France. Uh -huh. Um, you know, great idea, great recipes, really well crafted, um, email, you know, pitch letter. And we had just done an article on Paris. Oh, and so, you know, I had to turn it down because we, you know, the world is why we can't do uniquely, you know, French stories all the time, right. you know, like we, you know, we did Paris. So that pretty much covered France for a couple of years in terms yeah. of cuisines. And I had to write them back and say, this is a wonderful pitch. I hope you find a home for it somewhere else. But, um, you know, we can't publish it. And I don't know how that person reacted, but it's very easy to take that personally and think, oh, they don't want me. I got rejected. Right. And, uh, whereas there are lots of reasons for rejection. Yeah. So you've got to keep at it. Um, mm -hmm. that the first thing is, you know, keep at it. Don't, mm -hmm. but don't be obnoxious. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> the second thing I would say is know the audience. Mm. Um, cause you know, I also like when I responded to people is, you know, at vegetarian times, we did not do travel stories. And, like I went ah. to Croatia and I had the best vegetarian food ever. Well, since we didn't do it in the magazine, I mean, it could have been a Pulitzer prize winning article, written, right. but I can't publish it. Right. So before you even start to pitch it, know what the magazine publishes, ah. know or if not in the magazine, the website, like, yeah. you know, um, a good example now is Eater. Um, they don't do restaurant reviews. So if you say, I have had this great restaurant in my town, I'd love to write a review of it. Their answer is going to be no right out of the park. And you're yeah. going to have, you know, spent all this time yeah. um, working on something that can't be accepted. Yeah. And then the other thing I would say is give the editors what they want. Hmm. It may not be your style, but mm -hmm. it is their style. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones writing the check at the end of the day. Ah, very true. Yeah, I mean, as you know, like when you when you when you write for me, you know, writing for money is different than writing for yourself. Yes. I can write whatever I want in my journal or on my blog, but if somebody is paying me to turn something in, I may have to revise it so that it works for them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Um did you want to Sure. Um, so let's take it up one more notch with regards to your advice to the, the writers mm -hmm. out there. 
What about those that want to um, to create or publish a cookbook? What 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 advice could you give to those writers? Um, I think in this world, in this day and age, you need to have a, a website or a blog or a social mm. media presence, um, uh, because if you you know walk into your local bookstore mm-hmm. and you will look around and you will see that most um, cookbooks these days are personality based. That's mm. so true. And, you know, for good or for ill, people, you know, publishers now, like there there was a time I would say 20 years ago where publishers would take an unknown and make them known. And the the roles are reversed now. Publishers are now looking for somebody who has an audience Mm -hmm. who, you know, who can say, I have 20,000 followers who will buy this book the moment it gets published. Right. Um, And so, so there's a lot of work to be done on that. And you have to have a lot of faith. Um, and also, I'm really, uh, I'm intrigued by self-publishing. I really think that it's the the way to go um, more and more because more and more people are getting books on their Kindles or on their yes. eBooks, and um, more and more people are want access to things. And so, if you're, um, I almost want to say, if you're going to go to all this trouble to create a blog presence and whatever, which takes two years, mm-hmm. you know. You, no one is discovered overnight anymore. No, um, then why not make the most of it yourself and publish yeah. it yourself? Oh, that's awesome. That's very cool. I, I think I, I love your advice about the importance of, of building your own platform because I think a lot of a lot of novices out there kind of have it backwards. And they think that if they're going to go out and try to get published by mm-hmm. a publisher, that they rely on that publisher to provide that platform. Not anymore. But that's, yeah, they're looking for that. And, you know, it's it's one of the things that I've seen. I have a very good friend who is, you know, who had a big food publishing or and lifestyle publishing group in London. And we were talking about how the industry has changed for, mm-hmm. for book publishing is where it used to be, you know, you would walk out and she would walk into a restaurant and fall in love with the restaurant and pitch the book. And then mm-hmm. she had the resources as a publisher to make them famous Ah. and you know these book publishers don't have those resources anymore they're working on smaller and smaller margins they are you know and unless they're working with a celebrity they don't have big big marketing budgets so that's the other thing with publishing a book now is you've got to be ready to hustle yourself Mm -hmm. to sell it so true and there's so much again coming out especially you know in a cookbook or in books that Mm -hmm. It goes like that. So you yeah. got to be ready to market it when it's yeah. out. Big time. Yeah. I don't know if that no. resonates with what you all are saying and doing, but that's been my experience. Absolutely. We're big big advocates of self-publishing here. Big time. Yeah, um, absolutely. We like the ability to um, have that control over your own work. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things we actually had a previous episode where we talk a lot about that because if you're someone who wants to have that complete autonomy and control, like you were saying, like when you hand things over to an editor, mm-hmm. if you want that, self-publishing is going to be a better route for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you are open to someone being able to mold and change your manuscript and, and possibly giving up some your not just your control, but some of your rights to your work, then then traditional publishing is fine. But you mm-hmm. just need to be aware of what you're Well, and you know, the other thing is self-publishing can be uh, an avenue to real publishing because so mm-hmm. many real publishers now are mm-hmm. looking at things that are self-published. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of, you know, the economy on a smaller scale of what's happening with these entrepreneurial companies that get then bought for 
tens of millions of dollars by bigger companies yes, who, true. you know, they see something that's a successful and it's not a bad thing because these people have distribution channels that, you know, the yeah. small person who's just published, self-published a book cannot have. Exactly. Very true. Very cool. So well, I have one last question and I didn't even share this with you, Nikita, oh my but you know, I think we should each answer this question, but we'll put you on the hot seat first, Mary Martha. <laughs> Okay, you're in prison, you're on death row, okay. and you get to have one last meal. What do you order? <laughs> prison on death row. Um, like wow. the first thing, because, you know, I've been in the U.S. right now for um, for a week uh -huh. or so. And the things I'm missing I mean, are, are my home foods in France. Oh. I, or, I, I get um, oysters as an appetizer. Mm. And then I get a Breton buckwheat galette, which is the crepe filled with leeks and topped with fresh scallops. Oh, oh my God. And then I die. And then you die. <laughs> oh, Nikita, what would be your last meal? Hers. I know. Yeah. I kind of want yours too. Can we share it? Sure. Yeah. How about, no, how about this? I make it for us. Oh, yeah. perfect. That's well, even better. We don't have to die. There's two things I want to add, though. Mm -hmm. mm. I have to have some Maine lobster tails. <gasps> okay. Um, because I love lobster. I love anything that comes out of the ocean. Yes. Um, and my favorite oyster dish is oysters Rockefeller. Oh, yeah. so I would love. Do we do oysters Rockefeller? Yes, I do. Oh, we're gonna have to have. Oh, yeah. Okay. We need to have a little like oh, yeah. um, a girls' night and put right. some oysters. That would be <laughs> right. awesome. So, yeah. and I'd be happy with that and want chicken. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I would want some oysters. Straight out of the ocean. I oh, love raw oysters. Really? So that would be amazing. And then some sort of dessert. Oh, um, yeah, we forgot. Mm, that. Yeah, we can't Can we have dessert. a cocktail too? I mean, it is our last meal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're creating this so we get to have whatever we want. So, yeah, absolutely. I have a whole bottle of wine per. per <laughs> It's our last meal. It's our last meal. It's our last meal. Yeah. You know, well, it's kind of like um, a friend of mine was asking me, um, uh, uh, you know, to envision like my dream job, and I, I was going on and on and on, and it's just like, well, you know, I, I, that seems a little much, and it's like, sorry, what's a fantasy if you're gonna yeah. hold back? Right. <laughs> so true. So true. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Thank you. So fun. This is a lot of fun. It's been yeah. super fun. I'm hungry now. I know we just ate. Yes. Now, <laughs> I, now I want some uh, uh, buckwheat glass. <laughs> <laughs>such a treat having mary margaret with us oh my god we learned so much oh she's just amazing she really is i, I love i love that she lives in richmond half the year and in france half the year oh, i mean how cool is that i know it's just amazing right yeah yeah and i was also really floored by the fact that she can literally um speak and write in french and she doesn't have to translate in her mind anymore it's just fluent yes that's amazing that's incredible yeah and how how <clears throat> very cool is that yes <laughs> um and i love that she shared with us her experience about being a magazine editor yes and also about freelance writing yeah she had some really good tips for people who are you know want to submit freelance articles well and i think that's i mean tremendous perspective for people that are listening that that want to get into the freelance world where you're maybe submitting to magazines for articles exactly um and and i think one of the biggest uh 
pieces of advice that she left with us was not to get discouraged because right. um, rejection happens. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. It happens a lot in this field. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you do have to grow a thick skin when it comes to that. But also in understanding that getting rejected for an article that mm-hmm. you submit doesn't doesn't necessarily mean your article is bad. Right. A lot of times it's just timing. Right. Uh, and she gave us several examples where she saw really great article submissions come in, come in, but it just wasn't the right timing for the magazine. Right. Exactly. Um, so it's just, you know, be, stay diligent, keep, you know, keep plugging. Yeah. I really love that. I think that's really good advice. Yeah. And, um, and I like that she uh, shared about, um, you know, developing her blog on mm-hmm. my Ken Kyle kitchen. I yes. hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. And, um, and, um, you know, all the, the things that went into, uh, you know, doing the testing of the recipes and all those sort of things. The whole interview made me hungry. <laughs> Weren't you? Yes. Yes. As a matter of fact, I would love to go to France to go taste some of her food. Let's make it happen. Sociable scribes go to France. Oh, that would be so awesome. Oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> so, so thank you so much to Mary Margaret for, um, in, uh, Stopping and interviewing with us. I know she's super busy, so we so appreciate her taking the time. Absolutely. So awesome. And uh, let's try to end speaking a little bit of French. Do you speak any French? I know how to say bonjour. Oh, there we go. Is that goodbye? Oh, no, actually, that's hello. Uh, (laughs) Uh, Bonsoir uh, is good evening. And um, uh, je m'appelle Kim is I. My name is Kim. (laughs) We don't even know how to say goodbye. (laughs) Um, Oh, au revoir. Thanks for listening to the Sociable Scribes podcast. Don't forget to tune in next week to learn more amazing tips on writing and publishing. And if you like this podcast, please leave us a review and share it with a friend.